Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. The Old Testament book of Exodus and Exodus in chapter number 32. Exodus and chapter number 32. Well, this morning we had finished up seeing where God had given the plans to the tabernacle to Moses. And he ended up with the idea that God is the God who sanctifies us and that he gave instructions that we were to... they those people were to keep the Sabbath holy. With the idea and the principle being is that God is going to have them work and for the nine, next nine months they're going to be building the tabernacle and yet they're going to have a temptation that they're going to spend so much time doing things for God that they fail to spend time with God. Then what happens is that God, you could almost... In my mind's eye, his ear pricks up. Now, we know that God sees everything and hears everything all at once. But he stops the proceedings and says, Moses, something's going on at the bottom of the mountain. Something needs to be taken care of right now. And with that stoppage of Moses receiving the plans for the tabernacle and God giving him the two stone tablets. Let's pick it up in Exodus chapter number 32. Exodus chapter 32 and notice with me in verse number 1. Exodus 32 and verse number 1 the word of God says this. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. The people gathered themselves together under Aaron and said unto him up make us gods which shall go before us as For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. And after he had made it a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt sacrifice and brought up peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for the people for which, which thou broughtest up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, 
that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham. Isaac and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saith unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people." And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of testimony were in his hands. And the tables were written on, one, uh, on both of their sides, on the one side and on the other side were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. He said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it into the fire, ground it into powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said to me, Make us gods which shall go before us. And as for Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what, he, what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it in the fire, and there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood on the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And the sons of Levi gathered themselves unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out of the gate to, to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. For Moses had said, concentrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother that he may bestow 
upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and I have made... And have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt not forgive their sin, if not, blot me out, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore, now go and lead the people unto the place which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day where, when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. And if you have a mark in things in your Bible, would you mark a statement that Moses makes in the midst of the camp in Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, and then notice with me in verse number 26. Notice the phrase, who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? And with this, we're going to cover the incident here of the golden calf. With the emphasis here, who is on the Lord's side. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And you are a holy God. You're a righteous God. You're a perfect God. And through this, we can learn quite a bit about you and whom you are. I'm asking that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, heart to understand. I'm asking that you would do a work in the midst of everyone who hears this message. That not only would we be drawn close to you, but we would make a decision to be upon your side. That you would give us great wisdom and discernment concerning your character tonight. Again, I understand the gravity of this message. I understand the importance of whom you are. And I see my little ability so that once again, I just ask, Lord, that you fill me with your precious spirit. I set aside anything and everything I have, my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals, my tongue, my words. I give them to you. And then you just use me however you see fit as your instrument tonight for the purpose of drawing your people close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in the book of Exodus, we see God work over and over and over. And there has been no generation of people who have had God's blessings upon their eyes, witness God's miracle, His might, His majesty, than these people right here. If you remember that it was just 40 days ago they heard the voice of God themselves. They have heard God declare the Ten Commandments. So it wasn't an idea that some preacher said this is what the Bible said, even though that should have been enough. They heard it from God's own voice. And when you hear it from God's own voice, you are held responsible. 
Now, if it's helped in the Bible, you're still held responsible. But these people had heard it. And almost you could read through the book of Exodus, chapter number 32, and witness every single one of the Ten Commandments broken that day. Every single one. So it wasn't just the idea that one or two were bent. All of them were broken before God. And this horrible incident that occurs. With this, let's explore this even more. And I want to show you, first of all, the impatience of the people. The impatience of the people. Now, Moses had been in Mount Sinai for 40 days. He had been gone 40 days and 40 nights. He hasn't come back down. He hasn't come back to uh, sleep. He hasn't come back to his camp. He hasn't come down to the chow hall to get some food. He has been up on the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. And the people were kind of concerned. After all, what's going on in Mount Sinai right now? Up on the mountain, there are thunderings and lightnings. There's clouds. There's the constant reminder that God is there. 40 days and 40 nights, all they had to do was look up and see the cloud of God. The thunders and the lightning. They could hear that God is still there. But no Moses, he's disappeared up in the clouds who knows what has happened to him? Notice as we pick it up in verse number 1, Exodus 32 and verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. We don't know what happened to him. He's disappeared. He didn't tell us when he was coming back. It's been 40 days. Who knows what happened to him? I meant maybe God took him home. He did that to Enoch. Maybe he's dead up there. Maybe something happened. Maybe he got lost. We don't know what happened to him. All we know is that he hasn't been back. It's been 40 days, 40 nights. We need someone to lead us. So we want God to lead us. So we want God to lead us through these golden calves. So Aaron... We want you to make us a God. Well, Aaron, who has a lot of faults, and as you study through the book of Exodus and through the book of Numbers, and you'll see that Aaron had quite a few flaws, uh, quite a few things that were passed on to his kids and to his grandkids. There was consequences of his action, and this is the start of it. Notice his Aaron responds to them in verse 2. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives. And then they break off the earrings. So he gathers up all of these earrings. Remember, they had gotten them from the Egyptians when they had um, spoiled them from the land. So they grab all this treasure and he received them in verse 4 at their hand and fashioned with it with a graving tool after he had made it a golden calf. Now, Verse 4 covers a period of time. It could have been by day number 10 they were tired. It could have been by day number 2. We don't know where Moses is at. Somewhere along this line they came up with this idea. It wasn't day 40 yet. It was somewhere in the middle of it. Aaron, make us a, a god. So they had the process. Remember, there's two and a half million people. It's not like they're putting an offering plate in a church service where, you know, it may be a longer offering, but sure. That's two and a half million people they went to go find. 
Two and a half million people. We're going to go make a God. If you want to help make our God, our image of our God, the God who delivered us, you go ahead and give an offering. Well, why not? I want to see this God in person. Here you go. And so they collected a big offering. Then they had to go through the process. Now, gold is a soft metal, but it's still a metal. It's not the idea that you take two earrings and put them together like Legos. It's not an idea that you could squish them together. There's a smelting process. And so they have to take all the gold and they have to melt it down. But then they have to do a process where they uh, raise up the dross. That's the the waste, uh, the impurities of the gold. It rises to the top. They scrape it off. They set it aside. They let the metal cool. They reheat it. Now, this is a lot of gold. And so there's a process going on. So while Moses is up on the mountain, these people have gone to work. Going in the process of taking metal, making a bar, making a bar, making a bar, putting them together, melting it all together, fashioning it, and then they carved the thing out. So if you could imagine they took all this gold, made a huge brick of gold, a block of gold. And out of this block of gold, they chiseled out, softened, made it uh, fashionable, and made these calves. So again, this isn't the idea that they just happened to wake up one day and drew a picture. This was several days, more than several days of work that has been put into this. From the gathering of the offering, to the smelting of the gold, to fashioning the gold, to carving the gold. This was not something that was done overnight. It was done in their impatience. Where's God at? Where's this Moses guy? Where's the preacher? Come on, I'm tired of waiting. We want someone to lead us. We want to go and we want to go now. Remember, as we've said many times before, waiting on God is the ultimate form of worship. If you're able to wait on God, that means you trust Him. The impatience that we have is our inability or our refusal to trust God. And when we get impatient, we begin to take things upon ourselves that was never ours in the first place. And so they make this calf. They make this, and then it begins. He makes this golden calf in verse 4, and he received of them in their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. And after he had made it a molten calf, they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now this is ridiculous. They put this golden calf. You can almost see they put him on a platform. In my mind's eye, he almost has wheels on a wagon and they could drag it through the whole encampment. This is your God. This is the God who parted the Red Sea. This is the God who destroyed Pharaoh and his army. There it is. Everyone look and behold. You want to touch him? Oh, good God. You have this ridiculous idea here of this calf that is being portrayed and everyone is buying into it. Everyone's excited. Yay, we get to see this God for ourselves. Again, there's something about it that we want to see the invisible God and make him visible. That we could understand or control him if we could bring him down to a level that we understand him. That's... Why the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not make any graven image. Because God is bigger than anything we could ever fashion. 
anything beyond our understanding. We cannot put them in a box. But they make this golden calf and they portray it. This is the God who, who delivered us. Notice in verse 5. And when Aaron saw it. Now in my Bible reading when I saw that. I almost want to see the rest of it say. When Aaron saw it. He said oh no what did I do. Hey guys we made a mistake. That's not. But instead when Aaron saw it. He built an altar before it. When he saw it, now he knows it's not the real God. He made it. But when he saw it and saw how everyone responded to it, that's what that it there is. It wasn't that he saw the golden calf. He saw how people responded to the golden calf. Oh, this is going well. People are responding well to this. Let's go ahead and worship it. So he built an altar before it. And he made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. Now may I pause right here and remind you who Aaron is? He's not some back alley dealer. He's not some scumbag. He's technically the high priest. He is the highest ranking religious leader of all of the Hebrew people. And he's the one that's saying, look, here's God. Let's worship him. Tomorrow we're going to have a party. And they're excited for it. Verse number six. And they arose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and a peace offering. And the people sat down to eat and drink. Now, there's a process. They had the golden calf. The next day they woke up and they started off by worshiping it. They made offerings to it. They did this offering. They made a big deal. Then they had a picnic. They sat down and they ate. Oh, but then it started to get worse. Notice in verse 6 at the very end, and rose up to play. This idea of rising up to play here carries the idea of playing the fool. It's a type of term, playing the fool, and it carries the idea of indulging in sensuality without restraint. What is happening here is they're engaging in sexual sins in the name of worship. God's people who he delivered is now in the middle of the woods, worship, or out in the middle of the desert, worshiping this golden calf, breaking commandments one, two, Three, then skipping right down to dis, uh, breaking the commandments on sexual sins. And the rest of the commandments are following as they're breaking them one by one. Several of them at a time, all at once. So we start off with the impatience of the people. Then we come to the indignation of the Lord. The word indignation carries the idea of heated, wrathful anger. Ignignation. It's something that's fiery and burning. Now, Moses has no clue what's going on. Joshua has no clue what's going on. Joshua's up uh, further down on the mountain than Moses is, but he's up on the mountain. Moses, uh, Joshua's been there for 40 days, 40 nights. He doesn't know what's going on. But God sees everything. So he's finishing talking to Moses, giving the plans, and he says, Moses, we got some problems down there. Notice in verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people. When I read that, that pronoun is important. 
It's interesting inside of husband and wife's relationship when the kids messes up, all of a sudden it's someone else's kids. For example, if my kids messed up, I say, Leah, you know what your kids did? There's this disassociation. Notice God did that here. And the Lord said it to Moses, get thee down for thy people. Moses is having, or God's even disassociating himself for a second here. You know what your people are doing down there right now, Moses? My people? What did this happen? This is yours. Verse number seven. Get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out. Moses, you brought him out. You There's a disassociation. Now, this disassociation is going to be very important in a second. Get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Oh. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Moses, you heard me. I spoke with my own voice. I gave them ten rules. That was it. Ten rules. And they said, sure, we'll obey this. And we wrote it down for them so they would know. In fact, Moses, I'm giving you another copy that I wrote from my own, uh, from my own hand. And I'm letting you, we, we let the people know. And they quickly... Within 40 days, and remember, it's a smaller time frame than that. In less than 40 days, these people decided they were going to break all of them that God himself spoke. They quickly, they just quickly disobeyed my commandments. It wasn't over 100 years. It wasn't over 10 years. It wasn't even over a year. 40 days, they quickly disobeyed the commandments of God. Just Swiped them away. And they have made them a molten calf. And have worshipped it. And have sacrificed thereunto. And said these be thy gods O Israel. Which thou have brought up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses. I have seen this people. And behold it is a stiff necked people. Now therefore let me alone. That my wrath may wax hot against them. That I may consume them. And I will make of thee. A great nation. Oh, God is mad. Sometimes we get the idea that God is emotionless. Meaning he has no emotions. He's cold, anesthetic. He's alien to us. But God is a God of emotions. And he is upset. He is so upset. He says, Moses, just move out of the way. I'm going to kill him. I'm done. I'm I'm done. Now, again, some people have the idea that God is an old grandpa figure with salt and pepper hair and beard. And when he sees the children uh, uh, do something wrong, he goes, oh, it's all right. They can't help themselves. They're fine. But that's not who God is. God hates sin. He hates all sin. But this golden calf wasn't just a sin. It was a purposeful and an intentional insult against God. By saying, nope, that God up there in the mountain, that's not the God who delivered us. It's this God here who parted the Red Sea. It's this God here who destroyed Pharaoh. It's this God. And God says, that's not me. I'm not that creature. 
I am the God and they're associating my powers, my miracles, my glory to something that's not even alive. That they just got through building. And God is mad. God hates sin. And he hates it horribly bad. Now notice Moses steps in, verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent from this evil against thy people. So Moses starts in and begins to uh, explain, God, listen, everyone's watching. The nations are watching. You don't want to have a testimony that you brought these people out just to kill them. That you killed all of Pharaoh's army just to bring these people out to kill them. That you opened up the Red Sea just to bring them out to kill them. The nations are watching right now and your character is on the line. But not only was God's character on the line, God's promises were on the line. Verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy uh, servants. Now notice, if you don't mind the names that are used, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Remember Israel was the replaced name that God gave to Jacob. Now, Israel means prince of God. Jacob means liar. He purposely did not use the idea that, hey, remember, there was a liar there. No, no, Israel, the prince of God. It's a little subtlety, but it's, it's building up. God, you made some promises to Abraham, your friend, Isaac, the child of promise, and Israel, the prince of God. You made promises that you were going to give them the land. Now, you gave some promises. You have to carry out your promises. Notice in verse 14. And the Lord repented. Remember the word repent. Um, carries the idea to change your mind with a change of behavior. In this case, it's a change of behavior to the evil which he thought to do to his people. Now, let me pause here. At this time, people start to have theological difficulties. And they said, is it true that we can change God's mind? Well, the Bible is very clear that we cannot. Well, you say, what's going on here? God was going to kill him and then God, Moses talked to him. Well, pause, pause, pause. What is the whole purpose why God created man in the first place? For fellowship. But sin had broken that fellowship and Jesus died to restore that fellowship. Part of being a friend is to be able to tell what you're feeling. Well, Moses was able to speak to God. And God was able to speak to him. Do you know that God has feelings? And he's using his friend to vent. I almost wonder, does God have any friends that he could vent to today that he could trust? Now, most of the time, <laughs> we would go agree with God. Yeah, God, you should kill him. Just wipe him out. But that's not what God was looking for. God was looking to vent, but also to have someone remember who God is in his character. So Moses didn't change God's mind. God was always not going to kill Israel. But because he had his friend there, God was able to express his feelings, and God had feelings, and was able to vent it to his friend. Now, that's the type of relationship God wants to have with you. He wants you to trust him so much that you could tell him 
anything, even when you're mad, even when you're upset. And God wants you to be so trustworthy that he could speak to you and trust you to respond properly. Are you that type of friend of God? Do you have that type of relationship with the Lord? Or is he just silent and distant and cold and emotionalist because you're not that close to him? You know, if some stranger met you on the street and said, Hey, are you doing all right? Your answer would probably be, I'm fine. Didn't matter if you're having the worst day of your life. I'm fine. Why don't we share with that guy? Because we don't know him. He's some guy off the street. But when you have someone that you're intimately close to and they ask how you're doing and you're able to pour out what you're feeling, that's a friend. That's the relationship that is being portrayed here. And we could see the indignation of God. He is upset and he's able to vent to his friend, but there's God's not going to wipe out all of the people. Which does bring us to the ire of Moses. Now Moses is not immune to it. He's up in the cloud right now. But he's going to get down and see it for himself. And he's not going to be happy. Notice as he now walks down the mountain in verse number 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mount. And the two tables of testimony were in his hands. The tables were written on one on both of their sides, and one side and the other side, they were written. Now again, gee whiz information, the Ten Commandments weren't just on one side, they were written front and back. But Moses is carrying them down, runs into Joshua, verse number 17, oh sorry, verse 16, we'll catch this, and the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graving upon the temp, uh, tab tables. Uh, tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but it is the noise of them that sing, do I hear. You know, here in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, we start to learn that there are different types of music. There is a holy majesty type of music that worships God. And there is a type of music that worships self and false gods. Remember, they're having this big party that is now involving sexual sins. Let me tell you, you cannot engage in sexual sins while you're singing holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. It is very hard to go cheat on your taxes while you're singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. But yet, there's music going on. Joshua doesn't know what's going on. He says, Moses, you hear that noise? Uh, it sounds like there's a war going on. By the way, there is worldly music that sounds like war going on. And Moses said, no, that's music. It's music. It doesn't sound like any music that's pleasing to God. It's because it's not music that's pleasing to God. There is a difference in music. And even Joshua and Moses were able to discern that. So they walked down off the mountain. Verse number 19. And it came to pass as soon as he, Moses, came nigh to the camp. He saw the calf and the dancing. Now, it's going to say that they're naked too. So he walks down in the midst of this, this horrible scene. This golden calf. The people are engaged in sexual sins. 
around this calf. And Moses is appalled at it. Now it's one thing to worship the golden calf. But to see them all naked. And doing all of these things down there. This just sets him off. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hand and broke them beneath the mountain. Now, these are the two tables that God just got through writing himself. Moses didn't write them, God wrote them. He saw them, got so upset that he broke them. Well, I guess that's an option, right? Jesus, when he got upset, he overthrew tables. Moses broke these tables of stone that they're just upset seeing all of this. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in a fire and ground it in a powder and strawed it in the water. So Moses took this golden calf and says, oh yeah, and he breaks it down, grounds it up, throws it in the water, says, fine, you just go ahead and drink your God, sees it, how it helps you out. And he's upset. We can see the ire of Moses now, but that brings us to the instant decision of the Levites. Uh, verse number 21. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou brought such a great sin? He went to Aaron. Aaron's supposed to be the responsible one. He's the high priest. Aaron, what did they do to you? Did they hold a gun to your head? Did they threaten your kids? I mean, why in the world would you do that? Why would you allow this? He's in trouble. And so, you know, when you're in trouble, you know what you do? You lie. There's another commandment just gone away. By the high priest. Verse 22. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. That my Lord's lowercase. He's talking about Moses. He could see Moses is mad. Moses, don't get mad at me. It's not my fault. It's the people's fault. By the way, this is going to pay dividends for Aaron later. Because he refused to take responsibility. He refused to admit that it was his sin and his problem. Sure, the people had their sin, but Aaron knew better. He was the leader, and he made the thing. You can't pass this off. That's going to pay into his life and to his children later. And it's not going to be a good payday because he refused to take responsibility for himself. Notice what he told him. Moses don't get mad at me. It's not my fault. <laughs> um, for, uh, for thou knowest the people. That they are set on mischief. You know these people. They try to do evil all around it. I mean, we've been dealing with them. They've been complaining all this stuff. You know them. They're evil. It's not my fault. It's the evil people. Verse 23, for they said to me, make us gods which shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the Egypt, we not know what it is. So they came to me and said, hey, we need a God and we don't know where this Moses guy's at. And so Aaron, you take care of it. Verse number um, 24, and I said to them, whosoever hath gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it in the fire and there came out this calf. Man, you would almost not think this is an 83-year-old man. You thought you were talking to a teenager. How did this happen? I don't know. I just put it there and this is what came out. So you put all this gold into a fire and all of a sudden this calf came out that was already nice and, and carved and 
perfect and set up. Is that how that works? I mean, you could try it at home and see how many times you get a calf by throwing your jewelry inside of a little fire. It's not going to happen. But he's given this excuse like he had nothing to do with it. Aaron is trying to do everything not to take responsibility. And again, that's going to pay up later. And we're not going to cover it within this series. But I encourage you to study for yourself. And to see the sins of the father that go into the children. And to see the study of Aaron's life. And it is not good. It is not good. Notice as it goes on. In verse number uh, 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked. For Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto them. Unto him. So Moses said, All right, who's on the Lord's side? Immediately the Levite said, You know what? We're on your side of it. Everyone else is just staring at him. What? We didn't do anything wrong. What are you talking about? Why are you so mad? The Levites understood there was something bad going on. And they wanted to be on the right side of it. And so they quickly joined Moses and said, All right, we're on the Lord's side. We don't want anything that happens with them. So he said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side and go in and out of the gate. Throughout the camp and slay every man his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Israel, uh, Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. So here God calls people to himself and he says, you go kill them. Now, up to this time, whenever the people aggravated God, God just killed them themselves. Whether it was a plague, whether it was through quails, through this or that. But now he pulls people to do the work. Why? Well, first of all, it was to reverse the perception and the shame the children of Israel had before the people. That basically they're policing their own. Because everyone's watching. I mean, everyone's trying to keep track of where this God who's destroying people are at. And when they hear news that the people are out worshiping this calf and having a big party and all the sexual sins that go along with it, they're watching and going, what in the world is this? This isn't the holy God. This isn't the God that we heard about. Well, when God allows the people and uses them to police themselves, what they're doing is showing that this is not acceptable behavior. This is not approved behavior and that there are consequences for it. It's not just that God's doing it. It's that the people are recognizing themselves there are things that are not right. So it's not a, just a big group of people that say, I don't know what... But you have some people that have some discernment and say, there is a right side. There is the Lord's side. There is right. That's wrong. This is right. And to be able to have some people who are willing and able to have discernment to say, this is right. This is where we stand. We're on the Lord's side. We're not having any part of that world over there. So because of this, there's going to be some consequences, good consequences, for the Levites because of this. 
Now, what about Aaron? Aaron's the one who made this. Aaron's the one who made this. Why didn't he die? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, we learn that Moses himself pleaded with God not to kill Aaron. Please don't kill Aaron. Please don't kill Aaron. That's the only way that Aaron was spared in all of this. After all, he didn't take responsibility. He wouldn't admit to it. He's the one that made it. He's the one who knew better. Why didn't he die? Because Moses prayed for him. God, spare Aaron. Spare Aaron. That's a good brother, isn't it? Willing to pray for him. Now we come to the intercession of Moses. So Moses goes back to talk with God. I would want to go with God again too after this. After this incident, I'd have to go back with the Lord and spend some time with him to get this off of my chest and off my cue. But he knows that God's still upset. So notice, he consecrates the Levites and the Levites are going to be separated unto the Lord forever. At this time, this is going to be an important marking of the 12 tribes of Israel because technically the Levites are now separated now from the 12 tribes. And the tribe of Joseph is going to be split into two of Manasseh and Ephraim. That's going to pay dividends later. But the Levites are going to have God as their reward because they chose God. They got the best part of the deal that's going to show up later on, in the, even in the future. But notice in verse 30, And it came to pass on the morrow, so the next day, that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Peradventure I shall make atonement for your sin. So he says, Guys, I'm going to go back to God, and I'm going to go talk to him about this. And I'm going to pray that something can happen to, to cover this sin. You guys messed up bad. Basically, it's the equivalent of mom looking at um, the kid and say, guess what? Wait till your dad gets home. I'm going to go take care of this. I'm going to go speak to him for you. Verse 31, And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods out of gold. Now, yet now, if thou will forgive their sin... And notice that hyphen there. This is, it's a breaking statement. He, he said, God, if you would just forgive them. And it's almost like he's out of words. He, I, I, Lord, he said, but if not, if you don't send them, notice this. If not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou has written. Now, this is some big deal. This is the same thing that, that, uh, that, Paul prayed in the book of Hebrews that he said, these are my people Israel. I wish that I could be accursed so they could be saved. Moses saying this, God, please forgive them. I don't know what else to do to get you to forgive them, but forgive them. But if you don't forgive them, just mark my name off. I mean, whatever it takes to forgive them. Man, you see the heart of the pastor for the sheep here? He wants the best for the sheep, even though they deserve judgment. God, please don't kill them. Please don't kill them. Please don't kill them. I know they deserve it, but please don't kill them. Now, God responds to this in verse 33. And the Lord said to Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him I will blot out of my book. Now, it goes on. 
But here we can see this important thing about the book of God. The Bible refers to that there are three books that we are judged by. There's going to be the book of works, which is referred to in the book of Revelation chapter 20, when the people are standing at the white throne of judgment, and they're going to be judged out of the books. And all of their sins are recorded in that book. There's also the book of life. Anyone who has ever conceived it becomes alive is written in the book of life. Now, if someone lives their life and never accepts Christ as their Savior, never trusts God and His promises for their salvation, to trust in Him and believe on God's promises to take care of their sin, if they die without getting that accomplished, then their name will be blotted. Now, their paper was a little bit different than our paper. Their paper was more of a papyrus type of paper. And when they wrote it on ink, in order to blot their name out, they didn't have pencil and so they didn't use the eraser. But what they did is they would take a wet rag and you could almost wipe the name off and it would actually kind of dissolve that bamboo paper that it was written on, that papyrus paper. And um, they would rub on it and that's what the term blotting out is. It carries a literal idea of erasing, but it's their, um, they would rub it until their name was out. And so in the book of life, if your name's not written in the book of life, you don't go spend eternity with the Lord. And if you, if you are born, your name's written in the book of life. But if you live your life and reach the place where you understand that because you're a sinner, um, that you owe God a price, but you still never accept God's promises, then your name is going to be blotted out of that. Well, the Bible also goes on in the New Testament to explain that there's a third book, and that is the Lamb's Book of Life. In the Lamb's Book of Life, it's like Jesus' personal journal of anyone who's ever accepted Him as Savior. And His name is written down in that book, and the Bible says that your name can never be blotted out of that book. It's there, permanent. It can never be erased. It can never fade away. Your name, if it's written in the Lamb's book of life, you're going to live with him forever. And so those are the three books that are mentioned. Since it's mentioned here, we wanted to hit it in passing. But what a wonderful thing it is to know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But beyond being saved, are you on the Lord's side? We live in a world that is constantly against God. And may I say, we live in a world where even Christians are against God. They don't like to follow God's rules. They don't like to worship God. They want to worship God how they feel they should worship God. And it is not acceptable to God. Not all worship is acceptable. And God said, who is on the Lord's side? Who is it that's on the Lord's side? Those that choose to stand with God according to his word. Not how they feel. Not how they think God should accept their worship. Not in the sins that they want to do. Not the idea that I could do whatever I want and God will be happy with me. Let me tell you, God hates sin. And he hates it horribly bad. And he will judge sin. 
But we could choose to be on the Lord's side. We could choose to stand up, stand up for Jesus in the day of battle, in the day of strife, when the whole world is against God. We could still choose, make a conscious choice. This isn't something that was by accident. They didn't have the idea where Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? And some Levite actually kind of just not paying attention. Oh, I didn't know I got over here. I'm accidentally on the Lord's side. It was a purposeful an intentional decision. I will be on the Lord's side. Now, when you're on the Lord's side, that means that there's not a lot of people on that side. Now, God plus one is a majority, but dealing with people, most of the people are not. Two and a half million uh, Hebrew people are there. Twelve tribes of Israel are there, and only one out of twelve made a decision for the Lord. The rest of them did not. We understand if you're on the Lord's side, you're in the minority. You're a remnant. When you're on the Lord's side, you're going against what the people want to do. You're going against what the people feel like they should be able to do. But you're also on the side that's not under the wrath of God. God hates sin. But you do not become on the Lord's side by accident. You have to make a purposeful and an intentional decision to be on the Lord's side. So maybe you have never made the choice. You said, preacher, I'm saved. I know for sure from the Bible that I'm, that I'm saved, that I'm forgiven. But are you on the Lord's side? Have you made a decision you're going to follow after God? There are so many people who show up to church. They warm a pew. They could sit in a church for 30 years and never make a decision to follow after God. That's a shame. There are people who say, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But never have any desire to live a life that's pleasing to God. I just want to live however I want. And I'll show up to church. God should be happy with that. And then just leave me alone the rest of the week. That's a dangerous place to be. Will you make a decision to be on the Lord's side? Maybe perhaps you've made that decision and you've let it slack off for a little bit. You've allowed the world to cool you off. Maybe you need to remake that commitment that I'm on the Lord's side. I'm just letting you know I'm here. You just let me know what to do. I'm here. I'm going to stand where you want me to stand. I'm on the Lord's side. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available.
Thank you.